Welcome. All right. Well, welcome to another episode of Energy Bites. I'm Bobby Nealon. We got uh, Rad Dad John Calfan with us here. How's it going, guys? Welcome, welcome. And uh, you know, before we get introduce our guests, you want to make sure, uh, please make sure you go review our podcast. Um, you know, hopefully give us five stars. But if not, please just give us some really good feedback and make sure you you know, subscribe. But um, really excited. We've got uh, Ration Tulsi with uh, here with us from uh, from Databricks. Welcome. And, uh, not just, uh, I mean, I know John and you've got some, you know, some history, but, um, I'm excited. I, you know, I'm pretty well in tune with the whole snowflakes, Databricks, you know, that side of the world, understanding like kind of the, you know, strengths, weaknesses, you know, if there are weaknesses of, uh, uh you know, Databricks and some of the different stuff in the market. So definitely interested to pick your brain on it. So. Coca-Cola versus Pepsi. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, uh, let's, let's jump into it. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, you know, kind of how you, got into energy and or tech oh yeah so uh ration ration tulsi uh, i'm now a resident of houston texas and you know i, I like living here so i'm gonna stay here for a while <laughs> you know until the heat gets to me like most most folks would and they will yeah. see. uh maybe you know a few more summers and then we'll decide uh i actually originally i i grew up in, in south africa and uh, you know i ended up living in england so i'm a dual national as such and you know now i live in the u.s and I started my career in, in pure tech, software engineering, medical diagnostics, and then ended up in um, ended up in, in, in I worked for a company called Schlumberger back then, which now changed its name to SLB, 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 and kind of moved around. Ended up in Houston, and then during COVID, actually, it, which is kind of an inter- interesting experience, I um, uh, I was dealing with Databricks as as from a client perspective, okay. and I was kind of giving them a hard time about saying, hey, you know, you could do these things better and these things better. And actually, uh, a guy in there said, hey, you know what, you should come work for us. <laughs> And that's usually how most of these these conversations yeah. go. So we had this conversation, and uh, I liked what they were doing. COVID was an interesting time to make decisions. So yeah, I joined the startup company back then. And when I joined, I think there was like uh, maybe eight hundred people or so, and it's oh, definitely wow. definitely definitely it exploded. Yeah, exploded now into into a much larger. And there's a number that they're targeting by the end of the year. And I think yeah, it's it's, it's they'll they'll get there as well. So it's it's doing well. It's a, it's they call it the rocket ship. It's my first real rocket ship, and I'm excited to be part of that. That's awesome. That's I love. I love being able to see not just people from the energy space do well, but also people from the energy space getting into like bridging that energy tech yeah. gap, so to speak. Yeah, because yeah, I think a lot of people in tech think maybe our problems are easy, you know, or I mean like from the outside or, or that they've solved them. But I mean, until again you get someone who actually understands both sides of it and you're like, no, this needs to work better. So let's let's talk about it for a second. Let's just just jump into what, what what is easy, right? So fundamentally, you are, let's let's take energy as being because well, the way I look at energy, and the reason I, I joined Databricks is because I get an opportunity to work with energy, not just so I have a passion for oil and gas because I have a lot of respect for the industry, but energy itself, I keep saying this right, so that, you know it's this connected ecosystem now of energy. Oil and gas powers the utility industry. Utility energy powers our homes. Without electricity, our world and our lives would be a very different place. It's yeah, not a place yeah. I want to live in. Right? So. Yeah. The the challenges around those industries are immense. You've got you know heavy assets. You're dealing with uh, transporting lots of, uh, of of dangerous material as such. You're working in high pressure, high dangerous environment, drilling deep into the earth at high pressures, drilling out to sea in the middle transport, of nowhere. Middle of nowhere, and and, and it's also a global yep. kind of industry where you have to deal with uh, geopolitics and wars and, and all sorts of consequences of it. Those are all you know, and that all adds to it. So, you know, I, I have all the respect and wealth for all the other industries, but. I still think without energy, none of those things will actually exist. Yep. Yeah. And we'll be living in a very different world. So uh, I'm, I'm very passionate about keeping the industry going and, and you know, being successful in it, making others also successful in that industry. Yeah, I think I don't think a lot of people realize how directly correlated 
economic growth, wealth, innovation, technology are all directly tied to cheap energy, cheap, reliable energy, right? Well, let's take a, um, a dire situation. You're out in the middle of nowhere, uh, and basically you're sick. Um, uh, right now, if you have telecoms, a helicopter could get you to rescue you, an ambulance could drive out to you, and then transport you to a hospital. Rubber for the tires, silicon for the tires, the oil that actually can keep those vehicles running, the communication and transportation, and then when you get to the hospital, the supply right. chain All the that stuff. provided you yeah. the, the medicine that's going to keep you alive. And then the R&D over the last 50 years that basically produced something that's affordable. Mm-hmm. And the knowledge that we got from basically communicating with people around the world to basically bring you the best care is there. And you don't think about that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, from everything to yeah. the actual medicine itself, to the IVs, to the transportation the, like, around everything. everything. The knowledge even sharing. just keeping the lights on at the right. hospital. Keeping yeah. the lights on. I mean, like... Yeah. I, it sounded like a similar you were describing before we got on like about like your situation in South Africa now. But I think people in the you know and that's not that still is the developed world. But when you say United States, Western Europe, like we just say for granted that I flip a switch and the light comes yeah, on and the energy comes you know, from the wall, air conditioning, right? you know, keeping us warm in June and July in Houston, you know, and the air I mean, dehumidified. But so yeah, that's that's a great example. So I grew up I grew up in South Africa and I still have a you know some some linkage to the country. I don't want to get too much in the politics of it all because I find politics. Uh, not just divisive, but also very, very boring, right? Because yeah. there's much more ex- exciting things to talk about, right? But basically, due to uh, mismanagement, corruption, and just lack of like um, maintenance, the infrastructure is basically failing around maintaining their, their power grid. Yeah. So they go through daily. They've been this is for years. Every day, there's a, a dramatic amount of power failure. This is easily documented, and it's, you know there's lots of cases about where now businesses can can succeed because you're going to have to have diesel to power the generators, but just the cost of keeping your business going groceries and transportation, right. it's impossible. So now it's it's failing. And it's fundamentally because a lack of infrastructure, investing, also some diversification. Like they, they too invested in their coal and only coal. They could be looking at other sources of energy right. to kind of fan share. That's something to think about yeah. too, right? So the yeah. reality of like, you know, being hyper myopic about energy. Yeah, well, I think that's a big, probably one of the biggest, I think, problems, misconceptions about the energy space as a whole is that there is a silver bullet, one size fits all solution. And it's like, that's not necessarily the case in most areas. Yes. Right? Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we need, need all energy. Right. And like, I mean, it's, it's about energy. I'm like, I haven't really said it much on the, on the podcast, but we have been actively pushing it more at DW. It's about energy addition. As long as that energy is cleaner than the prior form and can be more affordable, accessible, reliable, more energy is better than less energy. Gener- That's right. Yeah. Generally yeah. speaking. And, and we're kind of in a unique, like, let's just take, because we live all of, I live in Houston. You guys probably live in Houston. Yeah. Or you live, you know, in the area. And so we have a lot of sun here, right? I mean, maybe it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's no shortage of sun during mm-hmm. summer. But like, even during the, the winter times, you know, so solar is ramping up. So there's mm-hmm. a, a really great solar companies in Houston that are kind of like taking off. Um, and, and what we're finding is that now that if you have a smart home or you're very, Cost conservative about how you manage your homes. And most, most new homes are basically kind of built for this. You're overproducing energy. So either mm-hmm. the energy goes back into the grid, which you can sell off at a fraction of what the, you're generating. Or, and, and now we're seeing, we're seeing vendors out there that are basically finding ways to basically create a marketplace for energy. So you can sell it to, to you right. at Lo- peak prices. Lo- local, regional. A local, regional. Right? And then all of that, and this is not going to be my pitch, all of that basically is um, a challenge around data. Right? Mm-hmm. So fundamentally, you got... 
billing data, you got operational data, you got uh, functional data coming into it, unstructured, structured real-time batch data coming into it. And really, this is where we're seeing these kind of like uh, central platforms of data kind of picking up, right? And the more flexible and the more a platform allows you to kind of work with different types of data and streaming and batching and, and, and ingesting tools, and then also in real time, same time. And the most important part is actually the data format around it needs to be in an open format so you can communicate and allow you to plug in and play with other right. people. So this is where we're seeing like, you know, the Databricks product, which is the Lakehouse, kind of like be very pervasive, actually then gain a lot of market share because of this, right? So we're seeing this happen because the world is moving towards this kind of like connected ecosystem for communicating and collaborating yeah. and even competing, right? Yep. We're seeing competitors kind of use our product, but also share data, sell data, and then work with data. So, yeah, so I mean, it sounds like we're kind of pivoting into Databricks. One thing, because I kind of know it, but I want to make sure other people, you know, listening or watching kind of can you kind of walk through the kind of the history of Databricks, like what it started as and what it's kind of morphed into? Um, I mean, it was starting from Spark and because they were some of them were the original Spark people, right? Yeah, the, yeah. the founders were the uh, founders were the original creators of Apache Spark when they basically created the, the libraries around Apache Spark and created Spark and they made it open source, which is great. And they basically, you know, created a community a community around that. And that community, I think there's millions of, of Spark users around that. And then I think they, they they thought about, you know, the ability, and there's a whole great story about, um, called Truth Tellers out there, and okay. the Databricks story, it's, it's much more well-written and much more eloquent sure. than I can I can you know, describe right now. But they formed the company Databricks based on this foundation. And they actually created a, a kind of an open source format called Delta, which is really what the, the core, the core engine for Databricks really is, and it's core engine for Spark, is the ability for us, you know, to kind of like process this this, this data in this like format. Uh, so we, you know, we have this Delta format, which is still open source parquet format. Uh, there's no uh, there's no data vendor locking into it. It's yours. You can you know yeah, you, you can, can work with it. Get it from R, Python, whatever. You can we can work in Python, Scala. We can work in SQL. It's great, you know, and that's it. And they created Databricks as a company that basically has. They built these optimization tools around it. So they brought in their knowledge, their love for this passion around them. They kind of built a, a series of optimization engines around Databricks and they kind of created this platform as they evolved uh, called the Lakehouse. And on that was a single platform where you can basically do business insights. You can do your visualization. You can work in multi-cloud. So we, we partner with all three cloud vendors. Uh, and then we having more, we're now bringing in more governance. We have this thing called Unity Catalog, which is really around creating good governance because once you have good data, you need better governance to kind of manage that. Uh, and then, you know, security is kind of an issue as well. So we, we manage cybersecurity as well. We also work with the cloud vendors. You know, that, that's where your, your data kind of sits in it. And then we have technologies for like sharing information like Delta sharing. So yeah. that's the ability for you to, you know, share data in a cost-effective way that was never possible <clears> before. Right? And, and what's interesting is, and this isn't me trying to push a product or not, but you it's a consumer producer type relationship with Delta sharing in the sense that you as a consumer or you as a consumer don't have to be a data risk customer, yeah. but the producer does. So let's say you're running an operator and you basically want to share some real time data or some, just some near real time data with a transportation company or a vendor. You could share that yeah. with them. They don't have to be a data risk customer. So it makes you more efficient in terms of like vendor management. Yeah. And that's say relative to like say Snowflake, which because I mean Snowflake has the being able to share across accounts, which is really nice. A couple clicks of buttons shared across, but that's in their own proprietary format, and you have to be a Snowflake's customer to that consume is, it on the other side. That's absolutely right. So there is a proprietary format around that, and and actually, you know, as we will we'll, we'll put it out to the customers and say we believe that your data is your data, and fundamentally there should be no vendor lock-in. Right. So 
ultimately, you know, we'd love customers to work with Databricks, but, you know, for some reason, if you choose not to work with us after, you know, being part of our, our community, it's still your data. There's no lock-in with right. us, right? But yeah. we, we are so confident you'll remain with us that, that people do. And I think, I mean, I, I think this past week or so has really highlighted that more Azure, Microsoft has adopted the Delta format for right. their yeah. uh, fabric. Fabric, yes, um, yes. So it's platform. A, so it's like a it's like a little love letter, there, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, exactly. That it was built on this. They all have their own kind of like parquet format, and they have some specialization around it. But but essentially, it is the core of what we've done, and and that is that is interest that is that is interesting, right there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They also still encouraging their, their customers to still pursue investments back into Databricks. So yeah, it's still called Azure Databricks. So there's you know uh, there's a whole write up about that. You know, I'd, I'd love to. We could obviously share that with you guys and your readers if they need to. No, 100%. Yeah. Probably link to it even. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. yes. Tell me, let's back up a second. So for the more generalist technologists out there, give me the the fifth grade uh, summary of, of what Databricks is. Maybe an example or two of like in the energy space, how somebody would use it, things like that. Yeah. So Databricks, um, you know, if you think about it from in terms of like the... Well, let's let's take a step back as to as to um, we we know that AI is basically a technology that will be more productive than it will be you know I wouldn't say destructive is such a, not a good word but it's definitely a much more productive technology and we see a lot of CIOs and CDOs and and people investing in AI right we know that and then we also know that there's you know uh, billions of dollars invested in that for success. Right. And people have, you know, not just invested resources, but they've invested, you know, in terms of technology and they've, they've made big bets on AI. But actually what we also see is that uh, the data does say that a lot of these AI products are unsuccessful and they don't go into production. So we looked into why that is, right? And it has to do with kind of this challenge around the managing of data, right? So if you look at data, how it was created originally, we had warehousing and that's really what Snowflake focuses on is data warehousing. Um, and then, and in data warehousing, you had really good things like good business insights, but you had challenges around data warehousing. Uh, sorry, you had challenges around uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, but also, data warehousing is very structured, and you, yeah, the level and... tenure exactly. And you also you laugh you also lack like the scalability and the volume of data as it changes to deal with unstructured data and that shape. So then these lake uh, these data lakes kind of popped up over time. And as the data lakes kind of popped up, and basically we found that, yeah, you could scale data and it was great. You could do unstructured data and you could, the volumes of data was great. And you could do AI on it, but you kind of lacked governance, right? right? And you kind of lacked that security and governance that you, you know. It just kind of turned into a mess even, like it would be so unstructured. Right. You know, yeah, exactly. It's just right. the data garbage. So, so what the technologists did was, and this is Databricks, they kind of built technology to kind of build the gaps. But by creating more technology and more sources, you had different data formats. You were communicating, you actually created more bottlenecks in terms of communicating. Right. Cost for it goes up. So those AI projects were kind of delayed because the cost and the delays, go to market was, was kind of failing. Uh, you couldn't reproduce uh, training sets. You yeah. couldn't do any of that stuff. So you or you had your data, say, in a Snowflakes or a SQL data warehouse, but then you had to get it out to run your models on, you know, rather than, you know. <laughs> yeah, like... yeah, yeah. And, and so, like, you know, time to market was kind of failing. And if you're a CIO, you're seeing a cost for AI projects kind of rising, and you think, I don't want to invest in this anymore. Right, yeah. So it's challenging, right? So, what we did was basically take that that technology, which was Delta, which was a core engine, use Databricks, and kind of create this thing called Lakehouse. So we kind of took the best of both worlds. We took the best of the data warehousing world, which is the structure and governance, and then we took the flexibility of a data lake and kind of created the Lakehouse. So all of this in one place. So like the communication issues have all been kind of resolved. So you create a single platform for people to work. 
So from a fifth grade, I know this is kind of a long definition, but no, from I'm, a simplified version, it's perfect. A single place to actually work allows you to communicate faster and share information faster. Right? A single format that's open, that's flexible, right. that, uh, that there's no vendor locking, there's no propriety locking, means that you can engage with lots of other open source technology. You're not vendor locking, and you can work in multiple languages. So there's no vendor, there's no language locking. SQL, R, Scala, Python, great. You can kind of work in all yeah. these things. You can share. We work in notebooks. You can share notebooks easier. You can share data easier. Uh, so it just makes it faster time to fail, right? So um, bad ideas would fail faster, and good ideas go to the front. Yep. Like we've seen some data where, where we've increased training set time, and also sorry, we've we've de decreased training yeah, set time, but we've it, yeah. doubled the uh, the data set size. So all by kind of just just creating this kind of ETL right. platform for just kind of doing this thing. So no. that's really it. No, I mean it's pretty fascinating platform. Um, I mean, uh, looking into because again, it serves all the different pieces of that data team, right? Like the data engineer can use their Spark and everything, yes. create the pipelines. And again, to your point, you can write those in a Jupyter notebook type thing and you can actually deploy them that yes. way, right? You don't yes. have to like, I don't have to pull it out, put it into Python script now and they'll schedule it with Airflow. I mean, you can do that within the platform, right? That's but, right. Yes. but then yes. that data gets put into the lake house and you have your Delta tables, right? But then, you know, the business analysts can hit it with the SQL Photon engine, right? And they can pull it into Spotfire and do descriptive analytics. But then your data scientists can use that same data and you know, run their AI models. But then but the thing that fascinated me, I went to like the Databricks in a day or whatever it was a couple months ago. It was just like, all right, now the outputs of their models go into their own Delta table. And then those are actually accessible, say to the business analysts, yes. if they want to pull those in. So, I mean, it's, it is truly one it's kind like of a, unified yeah. compounding. And, and even if you don't want to use, and, and I love and I love typical, right? So I like, I like, yeah. I like Spotify. But like, even if you don't want to use that, if you just want to create visualization, like the notebooks, we have our own notebooks. Uh, and even if you don't want to use any of these high-end visualization tools, you could. We have like DB SQL. You can get some visualization yeah. within the notebook that can immediately give you results. Like, so a business analyst or like a business stakeholder wants to see some results from either data engineering or data right. science. They can see that immediately. Yeah, right. And they can make quick decisions. They can make decisions right. faster. All in the same place. Well, because and, and, and maybe some of this is driven by it, but I and I know it was a couple years ago you guys acquired the Bamboo Lib or whatever it was yes. from, uh, and that was kind of the, the ability to write some. Was it pandas or something? But kind of with a yeah, GUI. Yeah, pandas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, so I mean, I think that's interesting too. Like once you again, you get again full scale. Like you don't like you're saying you don't have to, you have to leave the database platform. You don't have to. And and we are growing right now. We've been making some new acquisitions, and uh, we are growing. We we're trying to make it. We we love feedback from the customer base out there. This is why we we're increasing our our uh, kind of like user groups, and we want to have. And the way we do user groups is we actually have a client hosted because that's much more authentic. Did mm -hmm. you attend the one that was in Houston? Yeah, this was. Pretty recently, it was at uh, right there. In, I work in City Center, so it was right over there at the Microsoft building above Avanade, I think. Yes, that's right. Yeah. That was hosted by Microsoft. So yeah. yeah, exactly. So we have our clients, our partners hosted, and that's uh, that's that, that's great. We're going to be having more of these in Houston. Uh, we have them all around the all around the world right now. So yeah. this is kind of good, and it's actually community based. So the community speak about it, and you know we, we love feedback and we want to improve. So yeah, we want to we want to welcome people to grow, especially you know yeah. again in you know like Texas stuff is a. It's an energy capital itself, and you know there's challenges around that. And then you know, to John's point earlier, he said it's kind of nice to see someone from the oil industry kind of go into tech. There's a lot of that. Right? Yeah. I mean, what else do you do with your time right now? <laughs> Take that kind of knowledge and you know help tech understand what's going on. And and then when you 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 speak to your fellow colleagues in the industry, you add more kind of um, um, credibility to that conversation. Yep. Right? Because you understand the problem, and you've you've worked in the in the same field, so you understand that.
Yeah. And I think one thing I want to highlight too, and maybe you can highlight a little more is like, because I know at one point, especially I thought of Databricks as like, you know, Azure Databricks was one of the first ones, but yeah. like, I think make sure people understand like Databricks can be run on any of the, right. it's cloud you, know, be, you know, well, I don't know about agnostic. agnostic, but like any of the major cloud platforms. It right? works on all three major cloud yeah. platforms. Yeah. So you can, you can deploy Databricks on Google or on Azure or on or, AWS. Or, yeah. So Google, Azure, AWS work with the, the, the three, the three major clouds. And we now have, and this is public, we now even have a, um, I don't want to call it on-prem, but there's a way, so we have a partnership with Dell. Okay. Great, we, we can add a link to that, where basically you can have data basically stored. You know, on if you a, have your own private cloud. On private cloud, basically send that to database security. So it's a great example of, 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 especially in the oil industry where for data residency issues, communication yeah. issues, you may have to have some data on-prem. You can basically store the data and then push it into the cloud and basically manage that. Yeah, that's fascinating. And because then also, you can also deploy some of the stuff as site IoT devices as well, right? Uh, some models that can you can deploy the models, but we'll use the um, model deployment. Tool. So the curation will be in Databricks, and then sure. we'll use MLflow, which is our orchestration tool to kind of manage that entire uh, entire cycle. Uh, and then the deployment will, will be via whatever mechanism that you use out there. But yeah, okay, exactly right. Yeah. And and that's how it should be, right? It should be everything. Should, all the high end compute should be in the cloud. Uh, developer should be because it's cost effective. Yeah, it makes more sense. And then you push to the edge for doing some some uh, yeah, running the model, running the models, and yeah. basically you know doing errors. Yeah, no, that's how we linked up. Was when I was at Hive Cell. Yeah, hey, that was a great product. I like that. Yeah. yeah. R.I.P. <laughs> but, <laughs> it just even looked pretty cool. No, it's like, I, yeah. There's yeah. there's so many things I think they were doing right, and then of course there's so many things just holistically with Edge that is still so early and new that yeah. there's a lot. Like, CICD, for example, I'll just take that category, right? Yeah. Uh, no one has figured that out for Edge yet. For Edge, yes. That's going to be a very tricky thing, specifically in oil and gas, where you have connectivity, intermittency, and they're like, okay, I'm pushing a software update to my remote server, all 100 of them across a field or across the country. Well, two of them, the internet went out in the middle of the update. Of course it would. What do you do? What do you you do? know, like, yeah. we just bricked those servers, so... Now what, yeah. you know? And so there's, there's so many, so many uh, nuances and, and things around edge that need to be solved, but I'm, I'm still pretty optimistic and I'm glad companies like Databricks are incorporating and looking at, you know, they are, we, it's we, not just for it today, is, yeah. and but it's in not the just future. Gas, right. This could be manufacturing, could yep. be retail. Cause you know, like cloud is, it's just access to the data that's right. a challenge, right? So cloud, cloud technology is just fantastic right now. It's cheap, it's effective. Yeah. It's, Everywhere the data centers are, are getting much more global right now. But where we, where our clients are, and where our background comes from, you're in the field a lot. Mm-hmm. You could be on a on a rig, yeah. you know, on a ship somewhere, and satellite communication may exist, but it's usually the bandwidth is is actually usually channeled for ship operations rather than actually internet communication. So yep. even if there's there is internet, they'll basically choke their internet. So updates will be will be restricted. Yeah, that was actually one of the first. Uh... I think one of the first pilots that they did when I was there was with a, or that we were investigating was with a international shipping company. Right. And they've got, you know, a ship that ha- it basically has its own SCADA system yes. running on it, but it's now connected to a cloud-based SCADA platform that doesn't really work because they've got satellite comms that are incredibly intermittent. Yeah. And but they've got all this data that they would love to be able to do something with, especially around, you know, the the thing that makes you the money, which is your boat. Yeah. And so how do we do that? Right. Um, but that's now it's 
I'm, I'm excited to see what the future for, for edge in general holds. Like I said, I think there's a ton of things that need to be solved, but I think there's a lot of promise there. Um, and I'm glad companies like Databricks are I mean, set up for it at, at even the very least. Think about yourself as a person, as a, you know, in your private life, right? So we have a lot of devices on us. Yeah. yeah. I mean, right. that's an edge device. It's an yeah. incredible edge device. It's an edge know? device. Yeah. It's just that it's just normally there's a tele, telecoms communication. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. Maybe out in Yellowstone somewhere. And, you know, it's like, you know, uh, yep. yeah, you know, it's possible. Yeah. There's no telecom. So what do you do? That Does that become useless? No, you should be able to have functionality on that that device. Yeah. No, that's uh, I think one of the case studies that I found when I was first getting into it was uh, this article around like one. Of, I don't know what algorithm it was, but. Facebook meta put out about how they're doing like a hybrid kind of setup with their processes where they're essentially using the phone as the edge device. So they'll run certain processes on the edge device first, if they can, or if the communication is low, then they'll try and localize it versus pushing it up to the cloud and just things like that. And you're like, Oh, that makes a lot of sense. You know, if you, if you think about it that way. And so it's, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, then you look at like the flip side of that, which is like a Tesla, right? Where they custom built their own edge computers for all of their devices. And they're trying to do federated learning and all this really interesting, fascinating stuff. And still we're going to be, I don't know, five, 10 years away from completely self-driving. Maybe if we get to that, I don't know. Well, maybe it's just those, get the adoption. Those, people yeah. feel good about it. So it's the, like, adoption the, the adoption, the adoption, I policy. think the technology is almost there. My issue is with the outliers with most it's, AI, right? Is it's, even with Tesla, you know, having constant data and calculations and models running, you still, you know, run into those random outlier cases where it doesn't know what, you know, a garbage truck that's painted all white looks like. And so it runs into the back of it. Yeah. Or no uh, yeah. A, a, a guy on the motorbike was once hit by a Tesla because... Yep. It just didn't detect didn't, it. Yeah. Didn't recognize yeah. it. Well, right. yeah, no, I don't want to get too far down this rabbit hole, but like then yeah. the thing comes into like, insurance who's at fault yep no <laughs> yeah. i remember vividly when they first started talking about autopilot there was a whole paper about like well we're gonna have to program the computer you know just to make a decision of if you know do i hit this pedestrian or do i turn my car into a brick wall and kill oh, yeah. my who who's gonna like there's this ethical piece of it of like well if someone's going to die how does it determine like or potentially if both outcomes are bad, oh, I, I have how does one. It... I have one for you. So MIT runs this kind of uh, this use case, this AI a terrible use case scenario, a no-win scenario, <laughs> and it's basically I'm driving a car, and uh, it, it has automation in it, and uh, it's worst-case scenario. It's snowy, it's icy. You're kind of driving down here, and you're on this no-win scenario, and essentially you're on a bridge. And basically, your brakes fail mechanically, so nothing. Mm -hmm. So the car has to kind of like. The mechanics of it. The car can only steer to right. basically move. It can't actually slow down. So it's something. It's not like on the left is a bridge, and if you go off the bridge, you will basically right. perish. And on the right, it's basically a bunch of like school kids. Right. It's a yeah. It's, it's a, a school bus. bus. Yeah. And then in front of you is basically a, a crossing area for like senior citizens, and they're crossing at the time. What should the AI do? Right. Like who should it endanger? Yeah. Right. That's a no-win yeah. scenario. Right, and so that they they ask me what you should do, and people are like, oh well, you know, they make this horrible scenario. It's like, well, you know, the senior citizens they've lived a lot longer, so you know, they should it starts, take the hit for it starts the, getting crazy. It starts getting hit. Yeah. It's like yeah. I don't know those kids. You know, it's like you know, it's like, and so ultimately, what it comes down to is that what people don't want to say is that 
is what we all think is like, no, the car should save my life. Yeah. Right. That's what it should to should save me and my family. Right. But actually, the answer to that is I think the AI just goes, we don't know. Yeah. It shouldn't make a moral decision based right. on those things, right? Because yeah. it's impossible. We can't make that. Choice. Right. We always say, I would do my best to save everyone's life, but it's a no-win scenario. Yeah. 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 No, that's, I re- remember in college, take it. <laughs> some very interesting my the one psychology class i took and I, it was fascinating because you have all those you know yeah, those moral, ethical, moral moral ethical, ethical conundrums yeah. that you yeah throw out there you know would you kill a baby to save the world or like yes yeah, so know, these things are all like that, right? you know heavy questions and, and so, fundamentally they're never really about the scenario they're always about yourself and what yeah. you're doing and actually what we realize is we'll do everything for self-sustaining and actually that's what we want our ai to do is, is to help us right. but to try and mitigate as much external damage as possible but also to save us as as us. Right. right? The best worst case the scenario. The best worst case scenario yeah. is like, yeah. I think the perfect opportunity for a Billy Madison reference, but <laughs> business ethics. Business. <laughs> no. <laughs> but um no, while while we're on AI, um let's go. Or LLMs. So Databricks released yeah. their own Dolly LLM open source model, right? And and then like, I always had to correct people on this because I was like, well, isn't that like Dolly the painting? No, no, not that one. Well, yeah, because yeah. there is the Dolly. There is the Dolly D-A, thing, this, yeah. is D, this is like Dolly, like a This like is Dolly a sheep, the sheep. D-O-L-L-Y. This isn't, this isn't this the, is the open AI Dolly yes. image yeah. generator. This is the sheep, Dolly the sheep, because it's a clone. The first sheep that was ever cloned. And uh, I don't know if Dolly's still alive right now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if she's got this. Probably not. Probably not. Maybe. Probably not by now. But yeah, so we have this. Really uh, expensive land great. I mean, so I, 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 even if I don't want to, and, and I, I always want to, but. Even if I'm talking about something else, the whole world is talking about yep. LLMs. Yeah. And we had no idea what they were like three months ago. Yeah. Like to be perfectly honest, like, well, I mean, we kind of knew what NLP was. And if you're in the business, you know a little bit about what large learning models are, you know what natural language processing is, but you never really got too invested into it because you're always deeply focused on, on machine learning, on deep right. learning. That's really where we were. And then suddenly, I mean, I think the the techies out there playing with open AI. Mm-hmm. I was playing with Dali back in the day because I liked it. it was generating gimmicky images. And yeah. I was kind of excited about that. And then chat GPT came up and the whole world just, just, <laughs> yeah, just suddenly it's like, no, uh, it's a, definitely an inflection point. That's what, yeah, it's yeah, yeah like. it definitely. Uh, so will the, will, will chat GPT be the technology that will change the world? I don't, I don't think it, I mean, it's definitely got us talking about mm-hmm. it. It yeah. may not be chat GPT itself. Um, Open AI itself is not necessarily open because you have to mm-hmm. you pay for it. Well, I, I liked how their uh, what their CEO was on, you know, Congress basically saying that now it should be regulated. Now that yeah. I've got now that I've got a foothold, let's regulate yeah, the hell out of it. Yeah. I saw yesterday they're yeah. on pace for a billion users yeah. already, I mean, I mean, and it's like, oh, it's tremendous. It's I mean, tremendous. Like, and actually, in all honesty, I suspect we all use ChatGPT. Yeah, I use it for like most random things for like my kids, like daycare stuff like my kid yeah. who's in you know maybe you know for his like you know, elementary school stuff like tell me how i can create a report on you know these yeah. things that you know well fifth grade or something you know something like that no it's yeah it's so flexible although it's interesting because i don't know if you told me about it or if jake told me about it but uh the the leaked uh google memo i think it was within the last month or so but it was a memo from some google exec c-suite whatever basically that got leaked. It was an internal memo got leaked externally, but the summary of it was essentially, uh, we thought large language models were going to be better. So that's what we focused all of our time and efforts on. And that was a complete failure and looking at, you know, open AI is clearly in the lead at the moment. However, we believe that open source is actually, uh, 
going to be the the route in the future because of how quickly it is accelerating things while also keeping things light like yes the whole thing was talking about how actually lighter models are being surprisingly just as effective as a lot of these big ones plus they're easier to run they're faster etc but looking at it from essentially the open source community is allowing the, the innovation and the the rate of innovation to change so quickly with this stuff that we don't and efficiently most importantly that we don't even have to necessarily throw a ton of r&d at it we can just take some open source models and kind of do the microsoft google model which is take somebody else's really good idea that got proven out and integrate it into everything that we have and make people rely on it right and so it's i'm I'm very curious to see how that plays out i'm also curious on your kind of opinions on that just because open source has yeah. its place so but this, it's, this comes up quite a bit right so Let's go back to the the energy industry itself. So, and everyone's data is fundamentally confidential and very important, mm-hmm. right? So, what we are seeing is that there are challenges that that people that have OpenAI and they have ChatGPT as part of their you know corporate agreement is that they can't do their actual operational work in this mm-hmm. thing because you can share confidential data right. and client data and your own data in this. So you can do personal things. You have to leave environment, but also the challenge is. What we're seeing is that also it's like, how do you train? The cost of training these models are quite expensive, right? So, you know, uh, so Dolly, our version, our LLM out there, you know, we trained, I think, with like three, with three computers out there and it was cost like $30 and we were able to train a set. Yeah. And, you know, it's a fairly young, it's a, it's a young, you know, data set itself. And it's, you know, doesn't have the maturity of, obviously, of, of, of ChatGPT. It, it was never designed to. It's, right. it's still growing and learning. But... The fact that we could do it with like you know a cost of le- less than thirty dollars, right. right, means that anyone can do it, right? Incredible, so, incredible, yeah. and, and also being open source and following open standards means that the model itself can be interrogated, and this is where kind of like bias comes into, right? So we can't eliminate bias, I think, from human nature. That's a challenging psychological concept, you know, and I don't think it's possible, but we can certainly look into if bias has become an issue in terms of like you know giving results and decision making. Like if the model is open, you can interrogate it. You can see where decisions are right. being made, and you can train it. Right? But if you can also, but also if everything is going, if decisions are being going and results are being generated in one direction, you feel that that direction doesn't represent what maybe the the reality is of 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 of, of an of an answer. Because remember, generative gener- anything generative is a probabilistic answer. Right. Yeah. It's never really a hundred percent. Right. It's as close to it as it could be. But if you feel that it's not really closer to what you should feel like. Well, you can add to that model, right? Right, and that's that's what it is. And and now we're seeing, like, especially in operators, oil and gas operators, and they can, they've got like, I would say thousands of acronyms and yeah. words they use and historical information that's written on paper, written on context, ingest all of that into an LLM model, but you can train within your environment. So Dolly and and the, and the open source models that train within your environment and never have to leave your environment. Well, then you also reduce the possibility of leaks, right? Of actually, you know, errors that are coming out. And that's what I wanted to ask uh, when I brought up Dolly. Like, I mean, because I feel like I high level understand, but like, can I, I can I take Dolly and I can train it on some geologic data, or I can train it on or some interpretations that we've done, and then can I feed, you know, new ones into that, and it should be able to, you know, give outputs similar to what you know we trained them, or I, I mean, just trying to think fundamentally how how could I use an open source LLM like. Within you, my company, or yeah, I mean, it's not really meant to be. Uh, yeah, you, you, you could do something like that. I mm-hmm. mean, you could train it, right, on different models, and 
it is text based and it's fundamentally giving yeah. you text out there so it has to understand what's going on so what you could do is actually ingest maybe not just the operational data around you know a thing what about all the email communication yeah okay. all the reports about it, right so mm-hmm. let's say you want to you want to basically get a report um, let's say a, a drilling report a drilling daily report, drilling right? report right? a daily drilling report P-O-O-H on uh, <laughs> you know a hundred wells right and like normally it just it'll just be a whole bunch of text out mm-hmm. there but actually you know with Dolly you can probably ingest all that text yeah. mm-hmm. and summarize that into something more contextual based yeah. on, on based on what the expectation could be right right it's, this is it's like in agile dev right it's yeah. red yellow green right like because in those morning meetings, they don't care if things are going well. They want to know where the bad things are. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So what's, what's behind? Well let's slow and, down. You know, it's not interesting. And then they kind right. of want to detect something. And you can, you know, you can create a lot more in-context demos and training mm. and contextual information that's actually closer to kind of the language that the corporate language you use right. in the sure. organization. Right? Because a lot of the language that's used in the oil fields and, and in service companies are not, I mean, I don't mean the grammar. I mean, the actual terminologies right, the terms. are not normally uh, uh, public information. They yes. won't be in any of the training models that exist. It's jargon. It's jargon. Right? The industry jargon is basically very specific. You could even have corporate jargon yep. that's specific to your, your yeah. operations. <laughs> Need an MBA library. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So inge- you, can, you can use NLP to ingest all that information and basically then start producing a, a, a model that can just you know, give you a much more informed near, near humanistic response to that. Right? Yeah. And what's important is what we... We're seeing this is to be identified is that the oil industry is changing. The utility industry is changing in the sense that it is also, this isn't an ageist comment, but a lot of people with great domain knowledge have left the industry. Mm-hmm. They've moved on, they've taken their retirement boats, and they're living great lives, hopefully. Yeah. They've moved on. And so you have a, a younger generation that uh, are very smart, but they don't have that in context domain knowledge. And a lot of that is being lost. So that tribal knowledge that's missing, you can use AI to basically, and NLP and large learning. To maybe help you create tribal knowledge that can be trained, kind of institutionalize it. And, yep. Yeah. So no, I mean that's so that's where we kind of thinking where it'll be. That's a I think that's a huge deal because I think that's I mean you look at any uh, EY insert consulting company here report of you know about energy executives and the things that they worry about and where and people and knowledge is like the top every year regardless yep. and it's how do i retain the knowledge of these people that are retiring or that are leaving especially with in oil and gas specifically the you know crew change generational gap that there is um and i think like i don't think a lot of people realize that like this is a huge benefit of these models if you can internalize them with your company you know it's not just it's like we use notion right for our kind of uh wiki so to speak but it's like the wiki now gets fed into a model and now the model knows everything about everything yep. in your company wiki without you having to go find it or without someone who doesn't even know where it lives. They can just ask it a question. And, and I think that you nailed it right there, right? It's, it's, it's reducing speed of time to find information. Like even with Google right now, like, like we didn't know we needed, uh, <laughs> it's very interesting. Open, you know, we didn't know we needed chat GPT for information and because we had Google, like, yeah. right. Who would have ever thought that that's thought how like, you yeah. start searching for things, yes. right? Like, even yeah. though it's like a very, it, to me, intuitive way, right? Like, instead of me chopping up my Google search of like, you know, top restaurants, yes, Charleston, South Carolina, right? Like, instead yeah. of that, I can just tell it, hey, I'm going to South Carolina in this and dates, and I want to eat at seafood restaurants. I would. You could even have it more realistic. Like, 
Where can I find great seafood? Right. Let's serve great right. calamari. Right. Yeah. Right. And then it'll probably pull up. Re- it'll probably take information from reviews mm-hmm. and then put it up there and give you something. That's the most interesting thing with the the plugins. Yeah. Or with GPT, I haven't used it with the plugins, but Colin has, and he said it's actually it's pretty interesting as far as like you know Yelp, for example, or yes. TripAdvisor. Like you've got all these, things, especially around like the travel stuff, right? Like being able to tell it, hey, I want to plan a trip to some kind of destination that's going to have good weather during this week of this month of this year. And I want to, you know, go to a sporting event and I want to eat the best at the best steakhouse. Tell me where, and yeah. it'll do it. And it's now it shouldn't be useful. Like back you know, in the industry, like let's say you're looking at, you know, power turbines, right? Or wind turbines, you know, yeah. in, in, you know, renewable or even, you know, turbines for the utility mm-hmm. industry. Like it shouldn't be, you shouldn't be able to say things like, Tell me how Turbine 13 is doing, right? Right. Because actually, it's not going to ingest the operational data. It will probably just yeah. ingest the reports around mm-hmm. it. Sure. That's where it's going to make sense. And also, it won't be real time because right. it has to be trained and models around right. it. And it won't be, you know, you know, minute by minute. Right? It's never designed for that. Yeah. It's designed to basically, I guess, summarize information, mm-hmm. contextualize it, and make it easier for you to find things. But I mean, but I can see for, like, for legal... Uh, a huge i mean you get these massive legal documents like can it you feed it that and then like yeah i mean that's give, give me the cliff notes yeah like that's honestly like so in my master's i took whatever uh i can't remember the, the specific name of the class but it was legal and policy i think and uh what you know one of the things of it is going through legal documents msas etc and a lot of that workflow is literally just this is from <laughs> the hacks from my professors that they told us it's like control f and you have right. a list of keywords that you yep. go and you search for to try and find in this 60 page legal document yeah. right and it's like yeah feed this into a llm and let it tell me the things that i need to be looking, yeah. looking for yeah, sure, looking down because, to, yep. you know i don't speak 300 legalese. characters yeah like, no. but you have to also be careful with lms and because what we've also found at lm is as, as powerful and as fantastic even chat gpt it's which very is, confident even if it has no right to be. <laughs> I found that this term recently, and, and you know, and I'm proud to say that I'm honest enough to say that I've never heard of this term, but machines hallucinate. Mm-hmm. This that's now apparently the term for yeah. it's just like if it doesn't know something, I think it's like I think it's because it's still a kid. It's right. it's still growing right. and it's right. still basically we think it's this like mature professional out there, but it's probably only in this third grade. Yeah. Uh, or like fourth grade kid, you know, and it's like I don't know the answer. I'm just gonna make it up. Right. And that's the risk. They start to hallucinate because they don't know. Sometimes they basically just kind of put stuff together. So we have to be very careful as to like also, and this comes back to us as, as a as a population of a species, like, and this is not just LNMs, but this is for all information yeah. that's generated. All generated. It's like you gotta basically put that in context of like it's a probabilistic answer. Right. How much of it are you going to trust based on your own knowledge? Yeah. Yeah, and if you're hyper confident in the answer and it's wrong, then it's on you, not on the yeah, engine. Yeah, it's a trust but verify. Kind a trust of but verify system, yeah, yeah. for sure. What but, I mean, yeah, and the whole AI. Thing, I mean, I do want to pivot off the AI at some point. We could, we could spend all yeah. afternoon on this, but like, it, for me again, ChatGPT and some of this, these are things that we just know about. Like, I mean, like we don't know what <laughs> Russia's working on behind the scenes. We don't know what or China's even, working on behind the scenes, or even our our own government yeah. is working on. Yeah, you know, that's for their what, own. This is what's public. Yeah, this is what's public. I mean, and, and how's it yeah. going to be weaponized? I mean, just with I mean now all the deep fakes and everything. They just get yeah. those are getting better. Like that's gonna every be. day. I mean, like it just how are we going to know what's real and what's not? Like so, I, you know, I think there was that letter that came out with a whole bunch of like very famous people, scientists, mm-hmm. stop progress on AI, and it, it made no sense. 
because for exactly that reason, the bad actors were not gonna were not gonna listen to no, yeah. right? They were still gonna go ahead. And and even if you stop for six months and so, and like there'll still be a spike of like deep fakes coming out there. That's the uh, it's to me it's very comparable to like not to get political, but like the gun argument, right? It's like once the cat is out of the bag, once the guns have been sold into the world, like in the US, you've got millions of guns out there. It's very hard to to rain, take it to, back. To take it back. Once so that, AI that is, is a, into the universe and in this yes, exactly. open so source world, the answer then comes, and it's and it's also true for even the, the that example is 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 the it has always come back to us as a society and how to manage it. Yep. And I still think we have to re-educate ourselves, absolutely, right, on, as to how to trust but verify. Yeah, that's where we're lacking, and that's also true for you know managing you know firearms, right? So yeah, yeah. it has to do. It's trust but verify, but it's education on us yeah. as to like wait wait wait. wait. I just got a link that said this thing and it matches my exactly what I've been thinking about. So it has to be true. No, follow where that right. source comes yeah. from. Yeah. Right. Oh, it's a weird, it's a weird URL. So yeah, then obviously it's not a real thing. So yeah, yeah follow that. Is anyone else outside your bubble thinking right. that way? Right. And so it's so that's how it is. And for, I will say this example, right? So if there's a doctor out there that's using chat GPT to make diagnostics of patients, find another doctor. Yeah. Yeah. And because like he could be, it could simplify things, but actually, like, it's probably not accurate as well. Well, if I, he's only using that, yeah. and no doctor that's, really is only using. I that. think that's the biggest key because I, I, one of the case studies I used at at Hivecell was a, uh, I think it was for breast cancer, but you know, a doctor like whatever groups of doctors would have a seventy to eighty percent chance of identifying early stage breast cancer from you know MRIs mm-hmm. and CAT scans and stuff. Uh, but um, and then like the ML model that they had by itself would get like it was slightly less like 60 or 70 percent but then the doctor plus the AI model was exceeded I think 90 percent yeah and so yeah. like that is the power of this right that's like, exactly that yes. that 10 per 10 to 20 percent delta is literally hundreds or millions of people's lives that get saved because of it, it right? with correct yeah. significant so he also isn't change. just using only the right, exactly. only the yeah it's the, a tool it's a tool mm-hmm. you still have to basically rely yeah. on your own kind of and the experts around you, so it's that trust but verify. Yeah. It's I mean it's yeah. it's it's what they hammered no, into no. all of us in math, right? Yeah. Know the bounds of your of your formulas. So back to like society, the issue has never been uh I think AI will just exponentially grow into something that'll be very powerful and we'll use it. And it will have some negative impacts as well. That's that's obvious. That's with yes. all technology. Natural, yeah. Natural. And uh those impacts will be will have some dire consequences as well. But it, it comes down to us, I think, to re educate ourselves as to how to handle it yeah, so yeah. trying to stop it is impossible right it's already out there it's, yeah it, it yeah. reminds me very much of like the early days of the internet like mapster and, and things like that right like this is new it's exciting but it's the wild west and over time guess what shit gets figured out like we yeah. iron things out we always hopefully always yeah <laughs> but uh no like i saw uh i think it was a tweet yesterday about this law firm that has now been uh sanctioned by a u.s judge because in their uh documents which were come to find out written by some at least partially written by gpt it cited three court cases that don't exist <laughs> yeah, exactly. i've seen this. yeah well, like, i've seen this exactly is that exactly right yeah, yeah. like that's an, yeah. that's they should get better lawyers first of all yeah <laughs> that's, a, that's <laughs> that, a good example that person should like, yeah. lose their bar that person, exactly you shouldn't you find a new lawyer because yeah. like yeah that's just said oh we pull up some information and we didn't verify it and we went out there yeah yeah, yeah. a much lower risk uh kind of 
use case that I've also seen was Colin and I were doing something on it. We were trying to get it to analyze some kind of data set. And of course it's not made for analyzing statistical data, but it was like, yeah, just send it. We, he asked it, how can I get you, you know, can I upload this data or whatever? And he was like, no, you can just send it to me. And it gave whatever chat GPT at gmail.com. And I was like, is this real? Are we going to be able to send it like a CSV and it'll pull the data in? And of course not. Of course not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it did. Oh, yeah. And I was yeah. like, are you sure I can email you something? It was like, no, I'm a natural language model. <laughs> and yeah. It's just like, well, how did this wow. even happen? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, what if someone did? Or right. what if that was, yeah. you know, it was hacked somewhere? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just insane. Um, so to kind of pivot back to, you know, again, traditional Databricks, you know, yeah. not Databricks in two years when you can do, turn all your LLMs on it and <laughs> do everything there. But like, you know, say people watching, it's like, can you give them some, are there some uh, case studies or use cases? High level you know, use like, cases. That, I mean, and yeah. name names if you're able to or not, but like, you know, say the end to end, like, you know, Databricks experience, like how yeah. they are can people be using it? This problem implemented Databricks and then they got this result, which led to X, Y, or Z. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, there's, there's lots of it, right? So if you want to think about, you know, the industry itself, uh, you know, we have uh, hundreds. I mean, I, I recently, I think it's over 500, like, energy customers around the world globally okay. at different stages of it. And essentially, you know, like, the, 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 the use cases, the challenges could range from depending on, on what those clients do, whether it's yeah. energy, oil and gas, renewables, utilities, you know, but but the way we solve it is essentially the same for every single client, right? And it isn't meant to, it usually starts with us. The ones that we work better with, that are more successful, is the ones that focus on landing data in, in our platform in the data engineering phase. On, and we basically do the landing data. So the way Delta works is it has this medallion structure for, for data. So it has bronze, silver, and gold. So all the raw, the metadata and, and information will land in, in bronze. And then basically you have curation goes into silver and then basically gold is your business insight. So that's usually the format we've seen for most successful uh, clients is landing data, curating data, and then basically creating this ETL pipeline. So the most successful clients we've had usually arrive, are solved by basically managing these kind of like ETL platforms. Then we do the machine learning right, as, as it comes out of it. So, so what we, are people using like as a new customer, they're coming in, they were using x y and z tools yeah. and now they can just use this one tool what are some of the examples of like you know kind of the what is it piecemeal yeah yeah. Like yeah so so normally it would be things like um, um pi data is kind of a, a traditional one mm -hmm. so they're usually trying to get data from either a turbine a right. piece of edge some, some scale system out there IOT. exactly and they want to land data and they find that the systems that they have in place don't actually allow them to do analytics on this. So they've been landing data. For historians. The historian. Well, mm -hmm. you have to have historians to save data, but they're not, they were never designed for data analytics. Right. Uh, so they had to save data on some environment and pull it into another environment and look at it there. So with Databricks, you can land data directly into Delta and get that analytics in those, in those within those two or three stages. Yeah. You know, and then basically get some idea of it, which means you can get some visualization, even with like DBSQL, of like how some piece of equipment is performing in near real time. Not real time because we are an analytics platform, and you know we focus on we're very very fast, uh, but we don't sell ourselves as this. You know, yeah. uh, you know. I think that's a whole argument in and of itself yeah. is what is real time data. Exactly. Yeah, what does that mean if to you? you? Like, near near real time is what most people actually mean. It's I near think, real time, right? exactly. Yeah. And, and we need to be pretty. And I think 
everyone needs to be the the honesty is it is near real time mm-hmm. it's pretty fast the spark is batch generally right i mean like it's batch and streaming okay you batch and streaming data coming into it and uh so databricks can get batch and streaming into it we even have things like uh, structured streaming so we can actually you know optimize the fact that in case that stream actually breaks down we can concatenate it again and merge it into oh, it nice. right place so we have this kind of technology in place to help you kind of manage that that batch flow so in terms of like use cases you know we solve things like uh, asset management, predictive management, uh, predictive maintenance. We're working with customers towards condition-based maintenance. It's going to help you that cost. Supply chain, inventory management, um, managing AMI data. So the whole range of these kind of use cases. But it fundamentally starts with getting data into uh, into data, but into that format so you can get quick right. visualization, quick analytics on that, and then you scale up. Yeah, and, yep. and getting all of the data into one usable place right well let's let's talk about that should you get all data in one place and the answer is well it depends on your depends use case on, right that's exactly true. so like even with like machine data like if you can do just store the analytics version of it right you could actually get the bulk of that data which isn't that valuable for analytics later on yeah right so you can you can minimize your cost from that as well so there's some there's some ways we can help customers we have helped customers kind of like pipeline clean up that architecture to reduce their cost right but if I have unstructured data and structured data, and I know I need to use it, Databricks is a great place to be able to That's a, get that it all a, into one yes, spot, get yes. it ETL'd into, into what I want it and how I like Most it. Most of our customers have uh, unstructured data coming in, depending on, on what the, the media is. And then, of course, we have a lot of like batch structured data coming right. in as well, depending on, on what they want to store. Yeah, so it could be a combination of operational data and financial data being stored with these things and curated and basically working with it. What's what's one of the more kind of exciting or interesting projects you've worked on in the energy space that you can talk about? Oh, uh, again, don't have to be in detail, but just generally speaking. Oh yeah, there was a um, there was a VP from uh, it was a, it was I don't know if it's public or not yet, but it's a super large uh, operator, and basically they were talking about uh, how a single algorithm helped them reduce the the, the, the cost for CO2, right? And essentially it was Databricks working on them, but they didn't start with actually trying to solve this this basically uh, carbon offset problem. Right. They actually started with a supply chain inventory problem. That's what the algorithm was designed for, right? So as you know that, you know, inventory that's actually out, you know, inventory is not the most exciting uh, thing to think about, it's actually thing, but in an offshore environment, you know, a missing piece important. of, yeah. it's, a, it's a million dollars of NPT per day for a missing piece of equipment. So vendors and operators would actually oversupply uh, inventory right. just to so they can prevent that problem right so actually and in order for you to kind of find out where the inventory is it was taking 48 hours to actually process yeah so we went from 48 hours down to an hour that's a lunch break yeah. so that's that's all the NPUs that hour right so they were able to find out where the piece of equipment was there and they were able to you know you know basically run the operation so there's very little delay so that's saving millions of dollars yeah. actually in it right? no that's that's so my before I got into energy, I was in, uh, well, not in energy. Before I got into oil and gas, I was still in energy. I was uh, uh, industrial manufacturing for wind turbine blades, yeah. and you know, industrial manufacturing or industrial engineering is really, really focused on like optimizing every single piece of the manufacturing Just process, yes. right? Yeah. So. I got big into 5S and Six Sigma and Kanban and Just in Time and all these yeah, all those uh, very interesting things. And then immediately from that, I went to work as a frack engineer. And when prices were high, and like I remember being on location many times and looking out the window and seeing like 
10 sand trucks just parked because charging to merge because something happened in the field. We got shut down. No one, the information wasn't communicated to those trucks. So guess what? They came out on their schedule and they and now were yes. yeah. being charged out the ass for absolutely nothing. That exactly, could have yeah. absolutely been prevented. But the risk of them not being right. There exactly. Is much, worse, yeah. is much worse. Right. But then how do you bounce off that right. thing? And they actually, the answer is data, right? It's actually, yeah. you can do demand forecasting. You can make the predictions out there. Now, the, the client that actually made that quote about, you know, how we reduce the cost for transportation, it was the same algorithm, the same process that they use to scale across all their use cases. Right? They use Databricks to actually do that. Create those pipelines, reduce mm -hmm. the communication kind of gap between, you know, handing off between data engineers, data scientists, and stakeholders. So the projects and all the models were able to, to, to be developed faster. And that was really it. And they scaled out. They were never designed, they weren't trying to solve it, but actually what they found was because they were so efficient in supply chain management, they weren't buying more inventory, which means that their CO2 footprint was actually reduced okay. because they weren't supplying it. So right. there's a knock-on effect of it. Yeah. So you get the the ESG checkbox plus the, C the CFO isn't pissed off that you're <laughs> over-ordering on yeah, inventory. Exactly. So right. they, 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 but we have some really cool examples like uh, in the in the utility space as well. It wasn't, it's not renewed. Yeah, it's, it was a, you know, uh, there was a client in, in, in North America, which was trying to like scheduling of rivers and their substations. So it's a, it's a scheduling issue, ingesting weather pattern data coming into it because they had turbines going as well. Weather impacts a lot of decisions. So we were able to ingest the weather pattern data. We were able to then make the uh, predictions as to the demand for energy. Uh, and then because we, because of the way our ecosystem worked, we actually brought a partner to kind of help us solve it. Because while we are very good at what we do, we don't have the answer of everything. Right. So we can bring a partner to help actually help us kind of solve these problems. And they did. And that's the the kind of ethos we like working with. We love working with our ecosystem. We love working with our partners. And that's uh, that's where we, how we be successful. Take notes, all the proprietary format uh, oil and gas tech companies that don't want to partner with anybody or anything like that. It's the, it's, it's the it, path to success. That's, that's what everybody wants. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think... One thing I want to get in maybe more in the weeds as a developer type, mm -hmm. but like, um, but I mean, Databricks kind of handles all like, cause I mean, before I say with the data lake, you could do parquet and all stuff, but you had to like set your partitions like on your blob storage and kind of manage all that yourself. Like the Databricks platform, as I mentioned, it kind of handles a lot of that for you, right? Yep. As far as optimizing the partitions, you yep. know, on the, those... on the control side, we have a, I mean, the, the notebook itself is a control and a, a control plane, the data plane, and essentially on the control plane, you control all of that. You can just basically launch a cluster and you can set up what kind of nodes you want to work on, yeah. depending if it's multi-node or single node, depending on your your gravitas. And you can basically just launch them and start working very quickly. Yeah, you can just focus on the, the business logic. You focus you focus fundamentally on actually what you that you care about, which is you can spin up a notebook pretty quickly right. and you can actually start going. Yeah. And now that we're kind of working, we're also moving towards serverless itself, you know, that makes it mm -hmm. faster. Well, cost effective so yeah. well, and this is almost a parallel between what we were just talking about on the physical side with like the just you know more just in time using what you need when you need it you yes. know this is a kind of cloud versus on-prem thing right whereas before with on-prem well every now and then i need to use a supercomputer so i need to buy like way yeah, way over provision the mm -hmm. compute yeah exactly yeah. and then yeah exactly and then you, what do you do with that hardware when it's done and the hardware basically becomes obsolete over a few years so yeah and if you need it more you have to wait yeah. a significant amount of time and, to, and to and get I'm it in pretty kind to like how we used to do things in the past because that's how it was done and then I mean, 10 years from now, we will be doing things slightly differently. We'll go back and say, what were we doing back then? What were we doing back then? You know, um, and, and I, I actually think my prediction for the future will be that I think all the clouds will basically become like, will be, it shouldn't matter what cloud you're using. It should be like a, 
you know, you should be able to get access almost, to all. It's basically the yeah. internet, right? It's, it's basically, a, yeah. A internet for, for yeah, data. It should really matter know. where you are because yeah. as a consumer, it's like, I'm here, so I want to use the most powerful, cost-effective entity that exists in this bubble, in this space, because I'm just physically yeah. here. So it shouldn't really matter where. That's because it changes so rapidly too. I mean, right. like, well, and that's what, that's where like a lot of my like blockchain interest comes from is this idea around like distributed compute and things like that, right? Like there's some interesting kind of companies out there, but one of them specifically, you know, you get paid in their token or whatever by allowing them to essentially run, I can run it on my, I have a node running on my laptop right now, but you just spin up the, this software on your computer. And now if somebody wants to watch video on this service, the video will buffer at the closest node on the network to their physical location. Yeah. Right. And just things like that, where it's like, if you think about, you know, if Apple had some kind of distributed compute uh, SDK on all of their iPhones, and you could then use everyone's iPhone as a giant, super distributed yeah. computer. You could like, wasn't things Amazon really doing that with, trying to do with their, uh, or it was more about sharing the network, but like with their uh, Echo devices, like not, there's yeah. the neighborhood thing or whatever. And it's like, yeah, was, if, if you don't disable it, they can basically mm -hmm. share with anyone walking by who has, also has the Alexa. Yeah, like, X, X like Comcast does that now with their uh, yeah, the Xfinity Wi-Fi. Yeah, Xfinity Wi-Fi. Yeah. Right. Like I was, I, I didn't realize it until I was a customer. And when I was sitting in my living room and I saw the Xfinity thing, come, I was like, yeah. oh. So my router also puts out an Xfinity Wi-Fi. Wi yeah. And I was like, this actually makes a ton of sense. Does right? AT&T do that? I'm curious. I don't, I don't I'm think not, so. They may. I'm not, I'm not aware yeah, of it. I, I mean, yeah. Because yeah. Xfinity does that. Yeah. But it's it's a great concept, yeah. right? You've got all this compute power. Why not use it? It's yeah, all around. It's a mesh network. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. And, and that's really where we'll see things going. And so, yeah. Yeah. So I guess a, a mesh network of clouds. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Irrespective. But then again, it comes down to like, well, how do you, once you get the network going, how do you manage the complexity of, of mm -hmm. the data that's actually processing? And this is where I still believe the open standards, open source of the, the Lakehouse printer will work with. Right now, we, we are you know on three clouds. I don't know what the future will, will be for that. So yeah. maybe it will be a mesh network stuff. Yeah. I don't know. That's just a prediction. That's just not yeah. me. Yeah. No, I, I, there's, I mean, it, to me, it's one of those things. It's like, man, there's so many possibilities. But it's also like, there's also a lot yeah. of ways that could go really wrong. Yeah, because right? yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can, yeah, yeah. You can, you can share data and you can, you know, it's complicated. But that, that's just the nature, I think. Of, I'm, not, I'm being quite blase, but. No, I mean, that's just the nature of technology. It's very early in a lot of it, right? Yeah. It's just it's it's fun to always like play that game of what does this look like? Cool. Ten years. Yeah. But what uh I wanted to ask you. So one of my questions actually is make a, a bold prediction for uh <laughs> oh. for for uh tech in the energy space in five or ten years, but I think that's actually a really good one. Yeah, I think the mesh um, network for uh, cloud might be something. What is something that you know just either personally or with work, whether it's a software tool, open source, a GitHub repo, a guy on Twitter, what's something that you've recently found or gotten into that you're kind of excited about that some people may or may not know? Like our last guest talked about uh, a Python library for drilling that he thought was really oh, interesting. Oh, I, I mean, right now I've been, I've been mostly focusing on LLMs, right? Because that's really been the only topic that everyone wants to talk mm -hmm. about. And that's, 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 I mean, that's great. But I mean, yeah, I've been trying to figure out like, how to like learn how to do better and looking at the, the different types of engines out there, yeah. modeling tools out there. So LLMs, I guess that would be something to think about. What, uh, yeah, what prompting outside of uh, GPT, have you used any of the BARD or actually just got invited to uh, it's going to drive me crazy, but have you used any of the other ones? Not, with yet, any not yet, but I should, I should be getting to some of those stuff. Yeah. 
Mm, so I won't put you on the spot and ask you what your favorite cloud is because it's you know, precarious. Oh, that's easy. It's a lenticula. It's okay. one shaped like UFOs. You see them out in North Texas. Oh, touche. Yeah. Yes. Well done, well done. Keeping the dad jokes going. Yeah. I love that. That's what I'm, here. Say, I'm here for. I was going to say on. Uh, cumulus. Yeah. Yeah. I paid attention. Yeah. You definitely told that line very well. Yeah, there we go. Congratulations. Yeah. What? Uh, we'll, we'll jump into the kind of speed round with some of this stuff because I think we've got yeah, about 10 minutes yeah. left. What? Um, what is your kind of go-to or favorite either new tool that you found or just existing kind of open source tool? Delta, man. Delta, Delta is the way to go. Yeah, exactly. It's the core for what we're doing and it's where we're seeing success, even with Delta sharing. That's a good answer. Actually, look at Delta sharing. That would be something to think about. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. That's what, us. What about board game or video game? Oh, uh, that's easy. God of War 2. You play that? I haven't, but I've, I've seen the uh the trailer and how old are you kid uh four and six so, so you will you'll weep when it's over yeah you'll every man weeps dude when they play that game yeah that's uh the first one was great but this is better no i just actually just recently jailbroke my kids we uh oh, yeah. please don't <laughs> shut me down nintendo but yeah. i'm having a blast just down like playing playing stuff yeah. old wii games with them although that's i don't recommend that for if you have really young kids because that's a exercise in frustration yeah, yeah. with a three-year-old trying to, trying to teach them how to no, it's, it's use a Wii controller. Yeah. No, yeah. no, no, it's, yeah, it's up here. No, it's down there. Hand, yeah. It's swinging the ball. Swing it. Yeah, it's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> but he just hands it to me. You, yeah. you do it. Yeah. I'm like, okay. So, uh, yeah, I play God of War 2, man. Like, I mean, like, video, I, expl- had this, I have this conversation with my wife all the time about how she's like, why are you playing games? Like, because it's a multi-billion dollar industry mm-hmm. and they're now more powerful and eventually these video games will become the way we see movies going yep. forward. Yeah, well, even had what, The Last of Us? Uh, yeah. Really good TV show that was based off a of video game. Based on video game, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly, great. That was a great game. That was a great, yeah, great game. I did not like the second one as much as I liked the first one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a great game and became a great, great show. Uh, I really like God of War. I was surprised. The thing, you know, forget the action behind God of War and the playability, but the way they build the characters, like, you know, it just says, wow, that's that's pretty good. Right. Yeah, it well, and it's I feel like it's unique now because I feel like a lot of what I would call kind of classic successful games have gotten into more just like how do we pull more money out of people because you know, whether yes. it's skins or et cetera. Yeah. But like the gameplay itself is very light compared to like the stories the and story. the campaigns of five, ten years ago even. And so it's nice to see games that actually People, where you can tell the devs that gave a shit and put a lot of thought they and effort into yeah, it. There's, yeah. there's games out there. There's stories out there. Uh, I think uh, my first great example is like, so Red Dead Redemption 2 I love Red made Dead, $700 million in its first week. I was like, that's insane. <laughs> that's an insane amount of yeah. money. Yeah, it's ridiculous. In its first was, week. Red Dead was awesome though because it was Grand Theft Auto but Cowboys. But Cowboys. <laughs> have, you, was, have you played the second one? I think I did. I don't... Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I, I did. Ending, I think I remember like, it. It's pretty, yeah. pretty like... A real cowboy ending, but yeah. yeah. But like, like you, you like the characters, right, you right. enjoy the thing, and ultimately, I still think that's how movies will be interactive, right? you know, yeah. because like now with AI and stuff, we're generating, you know, voices and actions and yeah. graphics, we can do stuff. With well, it, and then but, that rolls yeah. into AR VR stuff too, right? Like in the future as well, like all yeah, that stuff. Yeah. Uh, have you tried the? I mean, I'm not trying to make, make a pitch here, but the new PlayStation VR twos. Mm-hmm. So that's easily 
the best VR I've ever seen, even commercially. Yeah. Yeah. Because you don't get the headaches, you don't get the motion. Right. But the gra- that is the a very... quality is, is there. That's something we went to. There's uh, Andretti's, which is like a... Yeah, you know, I know. It's a high-end gaming place. Yeah. Yeah. And they've got all kinds of really interesting VR stuff there. And it... But I had, the first time I did it, I got off of it and I was like, oh my God, like the, the sick emotion yeah. sickness that you yeah, get after getting and you, out of it. And you only played for like 10 minutes. Yeah, not it's, even. It's a know? fortune. Yeah. 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 But this stuff is at your home. So I've been That's playing awesome. for like an, you can play at hour intervals because you get physically tired. Right. Right. You know, because it's, 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 it's very active. So you don't get to, you don't get sick. That's cool. Yeah. Wow. That's, that tells you where we're heading towards. Yeah. When I saw Face Meta just released the yeah. newest one for like four, like it's the cost of a console now, which is wild. Yep, and uh, then eventually in a few years it'll be commercialized, right. and cheaper. Well, that's the thing. Wireless, and then you used eventually... to have a, you had to have like a three thousand dollar gaming setup just to Not play. Anymore. Well, look how cheap TVs are now. I oh, mean, I like, that's true. I, I can, you know, my, I put a TV outside, I breaks down. I'm just gonna go. I'll go grab another TCL 4K from yeah. Target and throw it up there for yeah. two hundred I mean, bucks. You know, like you, I don't know if you guys like remember growing up with the one TV, mm-hmm. yeah. and if that broke, it was like you, you had to get a guy to come by. And... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that the yeah the day's over. Like you know that's that's who we are now, right? We're, we'll just. I wish the is a 75, 65, 75 now, like less than a thousand bucks. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I can get less than 500. Yeah, less than 500. Yeah, I mean, I I I got like a 50 something inch throw out back for under $300. Like, it's 4K. I mean, like, I'm not a video file, but I mean, it's good enough for me or anyone else who's sitting out there to watch it. It doesn't just blow your mind. And it's all wireless, too. I mean, I can just go slap it like a a frame on a wall, Mm -hmm. just like a. That's no, right. I have a TV. You don't need, like, need any like devices and stuff in there to connect to it. So yeah, it's all Roku, so it's then all, it all yeah. plays with my account and Wi-Fi, and we're good. Yeah. Shout out to Roku. If you want to sponsor, please let me know. Yeah. I love, oh, Roku? I love Roku. You like Roku? Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. That kind of thing. You an Apple TV guy? Or what? Uh so that be- that's because I think they make the best they make the best shows I've seen so far. The well, best quality shows. Apple. I love Apple's. Apple TV. Yeah. Yes, uh, shout Lasso. out. So Ted Lasso saved Apple TV. There's no Ted Lasso that we know Apple TV. That's true. Like, uh, my, I was like really enjoying uh, For All Mankind, which is yeah. awesome. Uh, That's a really cool story. It's a really cool show. I, I started it. I haven't gotten really, really great it. show. And then there's a whole bunch out there. The, yeah. Get oh, into Apple what TV. is the, the one that my wife and I just watched? Um, Silo? No, it's the therapy one. Oh, yes. It's made by the Ted Lasso guy. Yeah. What is yeah, it it's called uh, Shrinking. Shrinking. Yeah. Highly recommend that. Yeah, I think because I think heard someone recommend that to us. Great, yeah, it great it's, series. Uh, and, and, and FYI, we don't get paid for saying. Yeah, we get paid for this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but if uh, Brett Goldstein wants to sponsor something, he he can come by. And, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, because he's the yeah he's the writer for that show, and he plays a uh, he plays Roy Kent. Yeah. Okay, I heard he was writer, and then he decided like, no, I need to play this character yeah, for Roy Kent. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Guy, yeah, I didn't so know that. Awesome. Yeah, so he's the he's the he's the chief writer on um he's the producer and writer for uh, Shrinking. And for Ted Lasso. Yeah. Oh wow, that's cool. Yeah. All right, yeah, definitely gonna check He's it out. He's making good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a pretty somber. It's a pretty dark. Like the there are definitely show. darker parts of it, but yeah. it's also just I like how real it is yeah. too. Really. It's a great. It's, yeah, it's a great show. Yeah, uh, yeah. So good. I think Apple TV makes really good shows. I don't know how they do it, and maybe that has to do with the quality of writing and the quality yeah. of shows and, and the actors and uh, probably has to do with they have more money than half of the world yeah they can yeah. buy the right people we've said it before they can buy every uh professional sports team in america with their cash with their cash just the cash not a not a loan against their value but just the cash they have like they so they could buy <laughs> yeah like like they could buy like the Lakers, and they could buy maybe you know uh, the Yankees and the, the Yankees and basically say okay, 
I want you guys to play. I don't want you guys playing anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, just like triple. Like, crush the fan crush bases the, that yeah. would be yeah. the ultimate yeah. troll that would be incredible yeah. actually <laughs> like yeah and just rig roll on yeah, yeah. If, if bezos or elon were just like i hate this team i'm gonna buy yeah. them i'm gonna buy them off and say sell off all their sell players for yeah. nothing yeah. <laughs> like they could just that reminds me of the texans but yeah uh, yeah into that but yeah well yeah. <laughs> uh go one or two more yeah what's going um, yeah. so outside of what you can visualize in within databricks what's your favorite visualization tool uh spotify oh yeah 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 i mean, I mean yeah, like too, but I mean, because it's neutral it's pretty cool. actually it's, it's pretty cool too yeah it, to me it's one of the easier to learn like get just yeah i think it isn't it isn't but i mean like i guess i'm also yeah, yeah but i mean yeah i mean i love it i mean we use it i mean it's just because again i can do my r or python in it and you know or it's, flexible. it's super flexible I mean, it's flexible it's easy to use also doesn't get you in trouble with any of the cloud partners for yeah not picking their <laughs> yeah their specific technology yeah uh what what's a favorite book or an influential book that uh you know you you like either personally and or on the tech side oh i think uh, uh i was gonna recommend like a databricks book but <laughs> no i mean uh oh this one stumped me this one stumped me so my my tech one is like crossing the chasm because i think it's I've had, such a you're not the only one that brought that up yeah it's a really good book yeah you not read it no. Oh, you got to read. You're not the only one that brought that. You got to uh, read. It. Yeah. Because well, it was written in the like early 2000s, maybe, but it's still so incredibly spot on today. It, all it is is it well, it's more breaks, psychology almost, right? Yeah, yeah, it's the it's the psychology about technology adoption. So it doesn't matter what type of technology it is, but it talks about you know you've got your bell curve of users, right? And that far left side is the early adopters, the tinkerers that just like new shit, right? Like it doesn't have to work, but these are the guys that are going to go. You know, build the Arduinos in their in their house, and then you get into the next part of the bell curve, which is like the visionary, which is more the kind of tech savvy business user or just in uh, work user that understands the problems that the company faces, but then also kind of can speak some of the technology language, and then can kind of see okay, this thing plus this thing in my business would solve this problem. But then there's the whole idea is crossing the chasm is after that visionary is what they call them. There's this chasm, which then gets you into that 65% yeah. of the bell curve, which is the early adopters, the late adopters, and then the tail end is the, the laggards. laggards. But it's it's fascinating because it, it just gives you, it gave me when I first read it, when Bobby and I were working together, when we first started doing our web app, but it gave me this understanding of like, I don't need to go please every single user out of the gate or like add every yeah. single feature. Find those right people. Right, you find the right people. It talks about, you know, they call it the beachhead or bowling alley methodology of like develop one fun feature that works really well for a specific user base, then ask them what the, like then discover what the next one is. And then they all end up compounding on each other to the point that now you have a legitimate product app, et cetera, that will appeal to that 70% of the, the market that you're trying to get into instead of going in with just one little thing that solves one problem because it, it then breaks down the psychology behind each of those user types yeah. and how they make business decisions, how they make buying decisions. The thing like, you know, that first primary user thinks of things as in risk, right? So moving away from another platform is harder than it, it would be for a tinkerer or a visionary, but it's a great one. Yeah. Okay. This is fun, man. 
Thanks yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. I mean, thank you so much for coming. Covered a lot. It's great to, yeah, I know. We could, we're, we're we definitely, could be on, we could be here for a while. Yeah, yeah. we're going to do another one probably longer and have some folks in to just do like a round, a round table, table around like AI and just different topics. Yeah, at in some fact, point. My, uh, my my colleagues that live in Houston, we speak, spoke about those two. Yeah, get, get one of them as well. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, they, they're really good, especially those, either one of those two. Yeah, be great. Mike and Kyle. How, uh, how can people find you or learn more about I'm on LinkedIn, like most people are. That's usually where it is. Yeah. And then is it databricks.com? Databricks.com. Yeah. Thanks again. Man. Yeah, man. Oh, you welcome. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks, everybody. That's it. We'll see you all next time. While some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Goodbye.